This is what it says in Romans 8. We're going to break this up over two weeks, 1 through 17. Great chapter in the Bible. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if you, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. I want you to just do this for me this morning. Would you just ask God to speak his confirming love into your heart? Just ask him that. Say, God, would you show me today that you love me? And I'll pray for us together. Father, we thank you for your word. I do pray that you would show each one in this room how much you love them, how much you desire to have a relationship with them. May we work through this text in a way that honors you and glorifies you. May we learn who we are in Christ. And Father, if there's one that doesn't know Jesus personally, that they would know who they could be in Christ and what they could have, and that you would show them your grace and draw them to yourself, and give them forgiveness, and save them today, Lord. Encourage us, guide us, we pray these things in the name of Jesus, and all God's people said. Under new management is often a sign that you see if you go to a new restaurant, or a restaurant that's been taken over, and maybe a new business, and when you see that sign, you're often thinking a couple things. If you see under new management, you're often thinking, all right, this could be different. This could have a lot of change. It's either going to be really bad change or really good change. In fact, several weeks ago, I was in the Lake Mills Family Restaurant, and I had this moment. I met a friend for lunch, and we walked in, and I noticed the menus had changed. And I looked at him, and I thought, that's kind of weird. And I excused myself for a second. I said, oh, you need to use the restroom real quick. And I went in, and Christian Radio was on. It was like, mercy me, and I'm going huh, that's different. 
And I came back, and our server was starting to bring bread towards the table. And I was like, man, new menus, Christian radio. They're going to serve bread when you sit down. And then she did a U-turn and went to another table. <laughs> so I had this weird look on my face, and I asked her, I was like, what's going on? She said, I said, like, did new ownership or something? She's like, no, this is for someone else. And then the next song, So Mercy Me, is apparently on a different radio station, was not a good song. And she said, we just made new menus because the other ones were disgusting. So that was my experience. So I thought under new management. But most of the time when we see that, it's either really good or really bad. In Christ, you will see in chapter 8, in Christ, you are under new management. And it is not like the world. It is all good. And it is for us to take hold of that and understand. These aren't going to be like my earthly experiences when humans take over. This is, if I am controlled by the Spirit of God, if I am letting Him control me obediently, I am under new management. That's what Paul is talking about in chapter 8. A life in Christ is under the management of the Spirit of God. And He wants us to know in chapter 8 what that looks like and how God loves us through that, and the security that we feel in Christ. In the faith with Jesus, it's black and white. A stark contrast. It's only better. This isn't an old management of sorts. It just gets better over time. This is an old creation by the Spirit of God coming into your life, being a new creation. And nothing on earth will ever give you that claim. It is a sure thing. I said that chapter 8 was one of the best chapters in all of the scriptures. You hear that out of my mouth all the time. Michael comes up and says, oh, I like that song. It's my favorite. We have lots of favorites, but Romans 8 is a rich, rich chapter in the scripture. It begins with no condemnation by the wrath of God. What a gift. And ends with no separation from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so the overarching theme in chapter 8, what I want you to know if you learn one thing today is assurance. How can I know I'm saved? It's the assurance of salvation in Christ. I hear these questions a lot. How do I know if I'm saved after life on this earth? How do I truly know? How can I be sure that all the bad that I've done in my life, even continue to do, doesn't result in eternal punishment? How can I be sure that I will not lose the love of God in my life? Michael read some scriptures earlier that Jesus spoke and I had those read intentionally. How can I be sure that I can keep the gift of salvation, that I don't lose that? Romans 8 is for you if you have those questions in your life. Remember, Mike preached on this a couple weeks ago. It's not performance-based. There's nothing that you can do to earn salvation, so there is also nothing you can do to lose it. God chose you. I want you to, you know what? If you are in Christ, I want you to say that with me. God chose me. God chose me. Don't forget that. We are forgetful people. Don't forget that in your life. Go to Ephesians 1.4 and look that God chose me before the foundation of the world. That's what it says there. God chose me before the foundation. He knew. He chose me in Christ. Don't forget that. So in chapter 8, between these two markers, no condemnation from the wrath of God and no separation from the love of Christ, there are two other themes that dominate, and we'll cover these in separate weeks, and I want you to know them now. The first, what we'll look at today briefly, is there is life in the Spirit. And in verse 17, you get this hinge verse between the two, and we'll cover through 17, and we'll start in 17 next week. Next week, we'll talk about suffering. That's a reality of a believer's life. 
And so there is that hinge verse between these two sections in this wonderful chapter in Scripture. For this morning, I want to talk about what it is to be having life in the Spirit. Spirit of God. The Spirit is mentioned 15 times in these 17 verses. So Paul is driving something important. He is saying, if you are a Christian, a Christ follower, one that follows Jesus, that, that picks up his own cross, denies himself, if you are that, then the Spirit of God is the engine under your hood. That is the power in your life for all things, especially as it builds up to verse 17 in our sufferings. And so Paul begins with that statement in verse 1, which he explains then in verse 2 and goes on to give God's purpose through the rest of it. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation. There is therefore. This is not performance-based. There's no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law will never save you. It's what was unpacked in chapter 7. You've been plucked out of your life, as Mike said, of doo-doo. You still live on earth in doo-doo, but by the grace of God, he has redeemed your life and saved you from that, and he eternally secure, freely justified, eternally. That's forever, folks. When Jesus meets you, like you met Paul on the Damascus Road, when Christ comes into your life, that is a forever thing. No one can snatch you out of his hand. That's what, that, that's what Jesus spoke in those red letters as Michael read. No condemnation. Think about that. Christ condemns sin in the flesh. Well, look at that. There's no condemnation. That's a good stopping point for some in this room right now. That is great assurance for the believer that there is no more condemnation. There is no more condemning look from God. But that is terrible news for those who are not in Christ Jesus. That is more terrible news, as Romans started, of, of sinfulness and wrath of God and separation from him. And so it's a good stopping point to ask myself, do I have a relationship, a trusting, saving faith with Christ? For the believer, it's great news. But if you aren't saved, that's not good. Thank God he offers grace to all. You know that by God's grace, he sent his son forth to die for sin, and that you who are in Christ are dead to sin, and alive in Christ. That means death is Christ's death. His penalty was paid. His resurrection means ours. And we must note that the word now does not refer to some higher. There is therefore now. It's not something that happens later and you say, well, I must just not feel that way now. This is not some higher level of Christian experience. This is, Paul is saying, this is now. This isn't some maturity thing that some believers attain. This is now. There is no more condemnation. This is an historical statement Paul is making. Jesus died for that. He paid for that. He lived a perfect life. He died. His resurrection means our resurrection. This is what God has done, and he'll explain that as he goes on. This is the justification by faith by which believers of every generation have been rescued from condemnation. And condemnation is opposite of justification, which Paul has been talking about. You are either one or the other, and Paul goes on to explain in verse 2. He says, you see, there's two laws in play for the law of the spirit of life and the law of death. Sin and death and the law of the spirit. Paul is going to contrast these things throughout the entire passage. The law of sin and death is a compressed way of summing up what the law of Moses does to an unregenerate sinner. This is because law keeping comes from the outside. And you have to get this if you're going to understand this text. Law keeping comes from all our performance on the outside. We try to do all these things to please God. And he's saying that's all outside. The law of the spirit of life, that comes from your heart. That's inward change. 
That's going to flow out of you. You're not going to get that perfect because we're sinful people, but that's what's going to flow out of you in obedience as you're under new management, the spirit of obedience. It comes from this inward change when Christ comes in and imputes his righteousness on us, cleansing us, paying the penalty, the Spirit of God coming into our life. Now, imputed, we hear that word in the church all the time. What does that really mean? It means to attribute, to take on a characteristic, good or bad, in Christ's case, good. He lived a perfect life and attributes that to the life of a believer for. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. That's why we all have our shame, right? We sit and all like, I screwed up again. I'm just a screw up. God's disappointed with me. You don't understand what Paul is saying here. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When he looks at you, Christ's imputed righteousness is the shield about you. He looks at the perfect work of his son whom he loves, and he says, that's who I see. You have to know that. You can't understand Romans 8 if you walk away from the truth, the doctrine, all this stuff Paul is saying and go, man, God just, he's just always disappointed with me. I just never get it right. You're still caught back in Romans 7. You're still caught back in the law of sin and death. That's what we need to stop doing. I admit, I have struggled with this for a long time and I struggle with it. I've shared this story before. I'm going to share it again. I was at a No Regrets conference several years ago, and there was a, this is how this happened. The Spirit of God is amazing. My, I went to like three different classes that were smaller that were all filled up, and so I like went to this one, like, and I was like, whatever, fine, I'll sit in the back. And I go into the back of this thing, and it's all these guys, and the guy up there, he starts this activity by saying, if you could describe your relationship with God in one word, what he thinks about you, what would that one word be? And I instantly, in my head, I said, disappointed. Just disappointed. He continues on, and he said, I bet most of you said disappointed. I did. <laughs> did one of those moments, like some of us have in church sometimes. He's all talking to me. I'm the only one here. What a reminder of a horrible truth that Satan throws in our face all the time. Romans 8 says that that's not how God looks at you. And if you experience that today in, in the life of Christ and you feel that way, you're just dead wrong in that. That's not what the Bible says. It says that Christ's righteousness is imputed, that we can earn our salvation. So that very attitude that I would say God has disappointed me is just almost like this, like throwing this grace in his face. You don't understand what I've done for you. So I admit I struggled in that, and some of you can identify with that right now. You struggle through that. But Paul is bringing us through this in this chapter. He says the law is powerless to save. I'm never going to do. You're never going to do enough to impress God. You aren't. You're never going to do enough to earn his favor. You're just not on your own. You have to know that today. You are never going to do enough good works. You are never going to do it the right way and say, God, look what I've done. Do I have your blessing now? I mean, I grew up like many of you with a dad. He'd give me a job, and I'd do it with Jeremiah all the time. And he's looking at me like, yeah, he does. He just popped his head up. You were reading the Bible, weren't you, son? All right, <laughs> following along. I gave him a job, and it's like, man, that's not the way I would have done it. That's not what God does. God just gives us grace and grace. He doesn't matter. Like, you screwed it up again. Why'd you do it that way? We think he's this condemning father. You read Romans 8, you say, no, that's not who he is at all. 
for us in Christ Jesus. He has done it, and that is the beauty of God. There is nothing that you can do to earn his favor. Not enough that he will be more disappointed. The beauty of what God does is in verse 3. What God has done was that the law weakened by the flesh, that's us, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned the flesh. That's once and for all. That's what he did. No one benefits from the cross without receiving the Spirit, and no one receives the Spirit who is not justified by the blood of the Son. I'm going to read that again. No one benefits from the cross without receiving the Spirit, the gift from God God himself, and no one receives the Spirit who is not justified by the blood of the Son. If you have the Spirit, the debt is clear. Disappointment is out the window. Now, why did God have to condemn sin in the flesh the way he did? It had to happen this way. You have to understand this. Jesus said he came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it in verse 4. Something had to satisfy the law, the holiness of God, the perfect law. And the only way to do that is take someone who has a perfect record and apply it, impute it, attribute it to someone who does not, who is someone who is spiritually bankrupt, who was who we were before Jesus took hold of our life. That debt then is settled. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled. It says that there, for those who walk according to the what? Spirit, not the flesh. Now Paul begins to separate in verses 5 through 11, the spirit and the flesh. He's beginning to draw a line, if you will, making sure you know if I'm still in the flesh or still in the spirit. And we're going to work through these in in an easy way, and there's this contrast here. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the spirit. Did I read it right there? According to their, set their minds on the things of the spirit, for the mind set on the flesh is death, mind on the spirit is life and peace. Listen to this. He He writes it this way on purpose. Those who live according to the flesh, or those who live according to the Spirit. Think about your life and its habits and its patterns. One of the ways that you can tell if I'm truly saved, am I living in a way that pleases the Lord? Do I have that obedience? Am I under new management? I'm not going to be perfect in that. We know we struggle with sin in the flesh, but Am I in my patterns? Think about your life's patterns, your spiritual disciplines, your habits. Am I, maybe I'm not perfect, I don't read the Bible every day, but am I gravitating towards that over longer chunks? I always say, don't measure your spiritual growth in days, measure it in years. Am I growing? Are my habits changing? That's why he says live. On the other thing, are my habits worldly? If I live that way in my habits and patterns, my mind is always set on those things. My mind, the, the neurocenter, the control station, is all, the management is always set. And if it is not controlled by Christ, it's, it's probably likely you don't really have a saving faith with Jesus. When my mind is controlled by the things of the Spirit, not perfectly, there's my thoughts. I think about these things. My ambitions, the things I want to pursue. And we know that those two things combined often fuel emotion. So many of us feel certain things, but is our mind set on the right thing? In Christ, it's controlled by the Spirit. In 
apart from Christ, it's controlled on our desires, our flesh. And Paul says in verse 6, flesh equals death. Spirit equals life and peace. Now notice he does a contrast here. He says flesh equals death. Spirit equals life. We would just expect him to stop, but he adds one more. He says life and what? Peace. Why? He's telling us something here. You're never going to have peace chasing sin. You're just never going to have it. Not only is sin going to destroy, it's going to be destructive, but you're not, you're not going to have life, but you're certainly not going to have peace. Many people walk on this earth and they say, well, I don't have any peace. It's because they're serving the flesh. They don't, they're apart from Christ. He says, you're going to have life everlasting, but you're going to have peace. This is a reference almost to Psalm 16. Those who chase after another God, their, well, their sorrows will multiply, continually to not have peace. And, and get this, friends, there is never... This is our, the way we're wired. It's never going to be enough when you pursue your sin. It's just never going to satisfy. It's never going to be enough. You're never going to get to the point where they say, that really fully satisfied. In fact, most of us who sin in that way, we're left feeling hollow and empty because what we chased wasn't really worth it. That's why the end of Psalm 16, it says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Evermore. That's the peace and satisfaction. That's the peace that you have when you s- serve Christ in your under the control of the Spirit. He goes on and says this in verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh, this is where Paul doesn't use easy language. He said it's hostile to God. I want you to see something here. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Hostile to God. I was at a conference several years ago, and John Piper spoke through Romans 8. And he said as he was preparing, he was praying. And he read that verse again, and he read that verse, and he meditated on it, and he thought of the sweetest grandmama he knew who didn't know Christ. This, and this, this draws a question, verse 7, for us. The greatest grandma, she wasn't a believer, but she was sweet. She was one of those ladies, just really kind. And he stood up there and he said, hostile to God. And you think, no, I know a bunch of good people who aren't believers. They're just good people. Romans 8, 7, hostile to God. They can't submit to God's law. They can't obey him. They can only bring hostility and rebellion. Even the sweet 80-year-old grandma who doesn't know Christ. I heard that, and I was like, ah, because I like John Piper. And I go, that just doesn't sound good. But that's all it was. It just didn't sound good. It didn't make it not true. This is what the Bible says. It does not submit to God's law. In fact, it cannot. We wonder sometimes in the church how unbelievers act They act lost. We wonder why non-Christians in the world don't obey God because they cannot until Christ controls them, until the Spirit of God is in them. That's why Christians who judge the outside world, bad deal. You're judging somebody who can't do anything else until God's grace comes into their life. That's why we need to love people towards Jesus in that way. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And here's the irony of this. Verse 8 is the irony of performance-based, work-based, prosperity gospel, earning salvation. You can't please God. There's no approval no matter how hard you try. That's what it says there. You can't please God. Only by God's grace will you ever know how much he loves you and how much I don't need his approval. It's the most freeing thing. After I journeyed through that horrible No Regrets conference, which I was the only guy in that class, I think, that heard that, I, I started thinking, man, like, that is just the wrong way to look at this stuff. 
I can't earn it, I can't lose it, God's not displeased with me. You need to know that. That's what Paul is saying there in verse 8. And he goes on in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now Paul does kind of separate here. And he says, you need to know this truth if you have the Spirit. These are things that are true. It doesn't matter how you feel. If you don't have the Spirit, there's a checklist of all these things. You don't really have a saving faith. Then you're not with Him. You're either with Him or without Him. And it's two people in the world. There's no in-between. But he says, God chose you. Don't forget that. If you have the Spirit of God, if there is no inward change, no new management, then you don't belong to Christ. And verse 9 clarifies that life in the Spirit is, again, not some higher Christian life. It is only normal and authentic one. Those who are in the flesh are just without Jesus. Those who are of the Spirit are with Jesus. Even if you're sitting here and saying, well, I, I trust that I am with Christ, but I'm just, I struggle and I don't grow. It's, this is true of you. You have God's approval in Christ. If you don't know Christ today and you're sitting here wondering, is there condemnation? That's something that you should address today and cry out to God in forgiveness. But Paul says in verse 10, but if Christ is in you, that's a different story. There's evidence of growth and change. Look at verse 10. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If Christ is in you, he's working. You're growing in obedience to him. If you're wrestling, it's just you're wrestling, working it out. You can be sure of your resurrection in verse 11 because of his. There is power in you. People, you have to look at verse 11 here real quick. If the spirit of him who raised you from Jesus, raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you recognize the power that you have in you as a believer? We often forget that. That's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And we walk around sometimes like, I can't do this. God just, I feel like he's distant. He's just, the spirit of Christ dwells in you. That is not your own work. That is to rely on the confidence of the power that God has deposited in you. The same mouth and hand that created the world. That is amazing. I'll never really fully understand that, but God says, I'll indwell you with that. That is the connection and love of God. And we walk around sometimes just defeated. And Satan says, you're nothing. It's a spiritual battle. You are very much something in Christ. People out of their own power are trying to change. That will never happen. And you know that. You know that if you exist in a marriage and you try to change your spouse. It ain't going to happen. If Christ grabs a hold of their heart and they understand the power working within them, that will happen. It's inside out not outside in. In verse 12, then, he goes on. Because of all that, look at this. Because of all that, we are debtors, not to the flesh. We owe something, but not to the flesh. We don't owe to our flesh anymore because it's been paid for. To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. If Christ is controlling you, if you're under new management, slowly but surely, even painfully slow as sanctification goes, getting more like Christ, sin starts to decrease. You realize it's ugliness all the more, and you start to walk away from those things. As you grow and learn, there's no satisfaction there. Yes, I run to it, but it doesn't bring me peace. It doesn't give me life. It only destroys. I grow through that. I'm a debtor now to God. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. As God has done the work, here's the beauty of Christ. If you are led by the Spirit, and I thought of this text this morning, I thought Mother's Day, should I preach a Mother's Day sermon? And I thought, you know what? Not everybody's a mom. Not everybody's able to have kids. And here in Romans 8 is this just glaring truth that the only family that counts is the family of God. That if you want to belong to somebody, maybe some of you wanted to have kids and you weren't able to do that. My heart breaks for you in that, but God has different plans. Maybe some of you never married. God had a different plan for you. But this text right here says that if you have Christ, you are a son or daughter of God. That is an adoption that is secure. You know, I help out with Seeds of Hope, Amy Wallace, and it's God laid it on her heart to take foster kid ministry seriously and orphan ministry. She's going on a mission trip later to Latvia, her and Matt Emerson. And, and I come here on these nights that the kids are all here, these foster kids from Jefferson County. And they're the cutest kids ever. Some of them are just like running all over. And almost without fail, every time I'm here, I get sad. Because these kids don't have moms or dads that love them. That's why they're there. And I get sad for that. Who doesn't want to have ownership from a father the way that God offers that to us? That is the truth you need to know. That God welcomes you into his fold and says, here's who you are in Christ. It doesn't matter what your earthly family looked like, whatever that structure was. It doesn't matter if, if your mother or father forsake you, if your brothers abandon you, all that stuff. Here's what I'm offering you, adoption into my family. You're my son who I'm well pleased, I approve. You don't have to do anything to earn my love and favor. You're just welcomed into my family. And not only that, but you are heirs of Christ. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is all that I give you because you're in my family. And I think if we did a good enough job as a church for those kids in that ministry, fostering them and taking them in, and if we even said today we will get involved in that in such a way to say we will provide Christian homes for those kids, we will take them in to show them the love of Christ, a gospel way to say here's what God's love looks like for you. And what, that might be inconvenient for us, and you're sitting here, I don't know if I could do that. Rely on the power of Christ I just talked about earlier. But that could be a way that we as a church could say, here's what Jesus' love looks like. And I don't have to be sad when kids walk through this building anymore because they all have homes with parents that love them. Because that's how God loves us. And I'm going to live the rest of my life just doing that for other families and other children. That's the beauty of what God does. God shows his love in that way. And many of you who are thinking about your moms today, you know the love of a mom. You just know that. There's nothing like it. I've had the privilege of sitting outside my window and my desk and daydreaming because that's what I do most of the week while I'm not doing anything else, just sitting there daydreaming. And there's this bird's nest. If you're a kid in this room and you even go towards this tree today, I will punish you, all right? I know what you're thinking right now. There is baby birds. There's a little nest, and I've, as the, trees, the tree is flowering, and I watched this whole thing develop. This bird's just making this nest, weaving all this stuff together. That is fascinating by itself, how they put together such a tight little thing. 
and I'm watching this, and there's no flowers on the tree, and I'm getting to watch this whole thing form. And then the mom is in that nest and just laying on those eggs, and you know, and the rain's pelting down. We had all that rain. I'm just watching this bird, thinking, that's what a mom does. She's just sitting in this unprotected tree, covering these kids while the rain pelts her down. That's just what a mom does. And so if you're a mom that does that, praise God for moms. God's love is way beyond that. God's hand just covers us in our darkest moments and just covers us and just, Jesus just takes all that stuff for us. And that's what God offers. He gets into verse 16 then and he says this, how can I know then? How can I know I'm saved? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. It's the Spirit of God that is saying, you are a child of God. That's how you know. And you rely on texts. You go back into the gospel. No one can snatch me out of the Father's hand. So I get these questions from people. How do I know if I'm really saved? Can I lose my salvation? I usually instantly reply, if you're asking those questions, most likely you're good. Because you're asking those questions. It's the Spirit who's going to testify in you that you truly have a saving faith. If you are sitting here today and you feel nothing, no conviction, no, that might be something that you have to stop and say, do I need to give my life to Christ? Do I need to ask for God's forgiveness? If you're sitting here and just thinking, man, I know I struggle, but God loves me, Spirit of God testifying to you. Conviction is a wonderful thing. I always say it doesn't feel good from the Spirit, but it's another reminder that I have Jesus. When I sin and I get convicted and I feel horrible about that, in some weird way, it's this good, reminding, assuring thing. I don't need to earn that. God loves me. He's giving the Spirit testifying to me. So ask yourself these questions. Just review Romans 8. Am I living according to the flesh, setting my mind on it? Do I have peace? The Spirit testifies about our eternal state. He bears witness, reminds us. He comforts us with his love. And if we're children of God, we're heirs. Fellow heirs with Christ and heirs of God. I have felt extremely blessed this past weekend just by the body of Christ. I shared that. By people, by love, God's provision, all of it, undeserved. But God wants to give it. I said to a lot of people, thank you. And they're like, would you stop saying thank you? I just feel so undeserving in my life. But God's grace just says, wants to bless you. He wants to take care of us with a small catch, if you will, in verse 17. And this is where we'll kind of transition to next week. Let me read verse 17 so you can follow this as we set ourselves up for next week and close today. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. It's not going to be easy, friends. I say this often. You are in Christ. You have the spirit, the power of God that raised Christ from the dead. The whole world is against you at times. Life will be filled with tribulation, sorrow. Your Christ's provided you suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. It is not going to be easy. With Jesus, you can expect hard things. And many of you are walking through those things right now. Painful stuff, emotional stuff, heart-wrenching, heart-breaking stuff. And it doesn't find you now. Mike said it two weeks ago. You're either coming out of a trial, you're either headed into one. That's what it is. 
And I don't want you to be shocked by that, but I do want you to know this. God chose you. Don't forget that. In some weird way, and, and we live through this, suffering is this, again, most reassuring thing in verse 17, that God is faithful. All the pain, all the emotion that we struggle through, all the wrestling, why is this happening? It's some reminder that God will glorify himself through this. So as I close, I ask you these questions. Have you trusted Christ today as your Lord and Savior to set your mind on him? Do you know for sure you have the Spirit? If you have those two things, you can be sure that you have hope. You have God's approval. You have eternal life. God chose you. Don't forget that. God chose you. Don't forget that. God chose you. Don't forget it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we worship you. I praise you for this morning to gather around as a body of Christ, to gather around your word and to learn and be guided by it. Father, would you help everyone in this room understand your immense love as I had them pray earlier, how much you love them. Would you in this moment remind them of your great loving care? Father, if, if one is struggling in this body, would you remind them of your great encouragement? Father, as, as we think about Mother's Day, and I full well know that some some women walk in this room never being able to have children. They struggle with this day. Some might not even be here. Would you remind them of your great love, a different plan? Father, if we didn't have a good relationship with our mom, that we would know that a relationship with you is far exceeding in that. And Father, if we have our mom here or a good relationship and they know Jesus, would we just praise you for the care that they've given in our life? And Father, I pray that we would all honor moms today honor their life on this earth or their memory but more than that I pray that we would exalt you because of your unending love that you showered us with when you sent your son to die taking on sin and shame for us may we understand your grace today and father may we walk out of this place not needing to prove to you how good we are but that we would just freely live in your grace and worship you. And send us out on mission, God, I pray, that we would be a church that take in the orphans, the widows, these foster kids who, who need a love in a home that exemplifies the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if there's one that's even convicted just a tiny bit about that, I pray they make a beeline towards Amy and say, where can I start? May you be glorified. Even in our sufferings, may you be glorified. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our cornerstone. And all God's people said, I'll leave you with this from Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen.